Welcome everybody to the seven innings podcast. We're excited to talk some good softball with you from this past weekend where we're all getting back from games that we covered at the Clearwater Invitational. And it was such an amazing week of softball. So much happened. We're talking about Oklahoma losing, give a recap of Clearwater, going to talk about the few undefeated teams that are left standing some impactful freshmen that we've already seen across the board, some early surprise teams. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit about pitching staffs and some showstoppers and changes in the pitching strategy that we've seen already this season. I'm your host for the week, Amanda Scarborough, filling in for Beth Moens. On the pod today, we have Michelle Smith, Kayla Bro, Madison Shipman, Jenny Dalton-Hill. We're going to have a great week, guys. I'm our, podcast, I should say, and great week of softball. I mean, we're kind of in the mix of things now. And before we get to the lineup card, we had a bit of breaking news that we wanted to talk about first is that Monica Abbott announced that she's retiring after playing professionally in the U.S. and Japan for 16 years. Uh, Monica Abbott, a two-time Olympic silver medalist with Team USA, and she's from California, decided to go play in the SEC at Tennessee. And I feel like you can look back at Monica Abbott deciding to play at Tennessee. And that was kind of one of the first steps of the growth of the SEC for it to become what it is now. And of course, with those three national championships with Alabama and Florida twice um, at Tennessee, she was an All-American and the first All-American at Tennessee. And she had 189 wins, over 2,400 strikeouts. And unbelievably, she pitched almost 1,500 innings in her career. She was the first D1 pitcher to record 500 strikeouts in all four years of her collegiate career and was inducted in the Tennessee Hall of Fame. Madison, as a fellow Tennessee alumni, what do you feel like Monica Abbott is meant to the sport? Well, I think she's meant so much to the entire game of softball, but also specifically to me. I mean, you mentioned how she came over from California, played at Tennessee. In in my opinion, she kind of put Tennessee on the map. And I remember them watching them in that World Series and thinking, how cool would it be to go out there and compete in that bright orange uniform? And sure enough, I ended up following her in her footsteps and going from California to play over at Tennessee. We never crossed paths too many times while I was in school, but I did have the honor of playing behind her um, in the professional league. And to be able to see just the amount of work that she puts into not just her pitching, but, but her body and her health every single day really inspired me to to try to be that much better every single day. And I think that's something that she did throughout her entire career. So I cannot thank her enough for what she's been able to do for the sport. And so many congratulations her way for an incredible softball career. Yeah, Madison, I, I, I couldn't agree more. I think that um, first off, I think she put the SEC on the map, showing that there were some really elite athletes that were going to come out of California and move east uh, instead of go yes west young lady uh, come east you know and so so I think that that really helped the SEC and collegiate softball but from my point of view I love the fact that she wrapped up her college career and then went to Japan she played I believe it's 13 years professionally in Japan played for Team USA after Michelle Granger Lori Harrigan and myself uh, three power lefties for Team USA retired uh, Monica Abbott came in and just really took a stronghold for the program and helped win a lot of uh, world championships, obviously two Olympic silver medals. So just a great ambassador for our sport uh, on and off the field. Very proud of Monica Abbott and everything that, that she has done throughout her career. Michelle and Maddie, I could not agree more. I mean, what an ambassador for our game and to be able to step in and take over for the big names that played in 1996 and really bridge the gap into the next 
kind of season of Team USA to be able to play 20 years for our national program that just goes above and beyond the expectations of what we think athletes can do. But I love the fact that she was able to play in 2008 and be one of the newbies on the team and then play in 2020 as one of the veterans and lead the way and lead the charge that way to bring Team USA back into uh, the current status of Olympic play. Then just kudos to her. Can't wait to see what she's got going on on the other side of the white lines. Kayla? Yeah, I would just say, you know, thank you to Monica Abbott for everything she did. She made our sport better than what she found it. And that's always a huge accomplishment. She said in her video today that she wanted to impact young women, young girls, and help them pursue their dreams. And she's absolutely done that. You guys mentioned that she changed the sport for the Southeastern Conference. She absolutely did that. She put a whole conference on the map and she made an opportunity for players like Madison Shipman, like myself, to go across the country and to follow your dreams. So Thank you, Monica Abbott, for taking that leap, doing everything for the sport of softball. And again, just making it better than you found it. Yeah. Congrats, Monica, on just an incredible career. And she will go down in history as one of the best, one of the best softball players, one of the best left-handed pitchers, one of the best power pitchers. Um, You can just really rattle off one of the best in basically everything that she touched. Okay, let's get to number one on the lineup card is that number one goes down after starting out the weekend at the Getterman Classic in Waco 3-0 and outscoring their opponents 41-0 with three five-inning run rules. Oklahoma lost to Baylor in Waco 4-3 on Sunday. Uh, This is a great stat from our friends at D1Softball.com. It was Oklahoma's first loss before April since 2020. And their first loss against Baylor since 2017. Now, reminder, this was considered an out-of-conference game and won't be included in either team's Big 12 conference record, but a huge win for Baylor, who went 4-0 on the weekend. Michelle, what were some key moments in this game? How did Baylor do it? So first off, I, you know, I think it was a great pitching performance by Baylor. Uh, Dariana Orm was just outstanding. She got the start, went four innings, gave up one earn, unearned run. Aliyah Binford threw three innings, got the save, uh, gave up a couple of runs. But I think to your point, Amanda, it was interesting. They are 100, Oklahoma that is, they're 123 and eight in the last three years. So it just shows how big this victory is for Baylor. Um, the key hit came from Shayla and Govan, a three-run home run. So they had a four-run third inning. And that really was the key, that big spot that they put up, the crooked number in the third. So that huge hit. Jordy Ball gave up a a three-run shot, three-run home run, um, just her second loss of her career. And so I think it was just, um, you know, one of those games that happened. And after the game, uh, Patty Gasso said, you know what, what just happened was extremely valuable. She realizes the value in this little bit of a setback. And so what she's looking for is the response, the rebound, the extra work, that's going to come out of this team having suffered their first loss. And she did mention that her offense looked a little bit confused. So they need to have a way to handle pitchers that uh, mix up pitches. Um, And so, you know, I love the fact that coach, you know, Gaffo, she doesn't panic. She doesn't hit the panic button. She just says, Hey, we need to go get better. So just a great effort by Baylor to get some um, work done at home and pick up a victory against number one, Oklahoma. 
You know, Michelle, I think the big question that everybody's asking is what's different about OU? What What's going on that they already have a loss? And nobody should hit the panic button. Like you said, Patty Gasso is definitely not hitting the panic button. But I wanted to look at statistically the difference of this OU team versus last year's team through the first nine games. Obviously, this roster is looking a little bit different with it, without Jocelyn Allo, the best player in college softball last year and for the last how many ever years, maybe of all time. Um, but you look at the first nine games alone. Last year, they hit 20 home runs through the first nine, scored 81 runs. This year, they've only had 10 home runs through the first nine, and they've scored 73 runs, one of which of those games this year was a 22-run win against Army. So if you take that out, it's just a little bit of a discrepancy in run production for this OU offense. Uh, I look at the roster, T.R.A. Jennings last year, end of the year with a 401 batting average with 29 home runs. This year, she's hitting 385 with one home run. Jada Coleman's only hitting 333 this year. She hit 424 last year. Uh, Grace Lyons doesn't have a home run yet. She hit 23 home runs last year. Sid Sanders, this is the big key, the transfer from Arizona State, the freshman. She hit 425 last year with 21 home runs. She's hitting 227 early in the year, and she has zero extra base hits. Then you go to the pitching side. So let's let's talk pitching. We're going to use Jordy Ball as an example. Last year, she finished the season with a 1.09 ERA. Right now, she's at about a 2.5. So again, it's early. But this is just painting the picture statistically why OU has a loss already and maybe doesn't hasn't put up the crooked numbers. And I think it's an opportunity for some teams in Mary Nutter this coming weekend to maybe jump on the Sooners. We'll see, Amanda. Yeah, we're going to preview the Mary Nutter Classic in Palm Springs a little bit later down the lineup card. I know that we're looking forward to that because there's so many good matchups. But uh, for now, let's move to number two. Back to the beach. Um, we had a great weekend in Clearwater where we, as our ESPN team, covered 40 games in four days. We announced the teams that will be here for next year's tournament. We had beautiful weather, except for about an hour, I think, on Friday night. Our ESPN team of over 130 people worked so hard throughout the weekend to make the event a huge success and an event that we have all grown to love and softball fans love to follow. This is the fourth year of the tournament. I know that we're all looking forward to the tournament again in 2024. Uh, we ended with a cherry on top with Alabama versus Florida State, a matchup on ESPN, and then UCF versus Mississippi State, a matchup on ESPN2. So we finished with a bang. Um, Madison, what was just your overall feel and vibe of the tournament, your takeaways? Well, for me, uh, Tiffany Green and I were working the day side game. So we had the pleasure of getting there a couple hours before the gates open and me driving up. It was about two and a half hours or so before the game time started and fans were already lined up all the way around the block. Um, by the time we got up into the booth and started getting settled, the gates opened up and you could watch the fans literally sprinting through the concourse to try to stake out their seats for the day. And I just thought that was so cool to see how enthusiastic all of these fans are about this tournament because we talk about how great it is, but then to see the energy that the fans provided all weekend long, I think is something that really makes that tournament so truly special, plus the elite competition that we have on the field. I know we say it over and over, but it truly does feel like the postseason in February. And I don't know if you guys know this, but Tiffany, Tiffany and I were having a very unofficial 
artificial uh, competition of which field could have the most home runs. And I think that field eight definitely took the cake on that one for the most home runs throughout the rest of the tournament. So just so you guys know, you were unaware of the competition, but yes, the competition was happening. Uh, But Jenny, what did you think about this weekend's tournament? Okay, we'll bring it on because now that I know that's going to be definitely part of the conversation a year from now. Um, But the ball was flying out of the park. It was like we were, you know, at Arizona playing and the ball just continued to find its way over the fence. But you're right, Madison, big crowds, big games, games, lots of sunshine, except for that 40 minute window that we won't talk about that had a little bit of a delay. Um, But the improved fence on field three, I'm going to cross my fingers and hope we get that on field one (laughs) next year. Um, but it had an end of the year feel in just the second weekend of this of the of the season. Um, I really liked the autograph opportunities too for the fans that were able to come in, and every team was available to do that at least once during the tournament. So if you are a fan of softball, this is kind of an opportunity early in a year to be able to make a one-on-one connection with maybe your favorite player. But let's go ahead and talk about who will be there next season. They have already released the 16 teams that will make it or that will be playing in Clearwater next year. So in no particular order, except in alphabetical, we'll go right down the list. Florida State, Georgia, Georgia Tech, Kentucky, LSU, Minnesota, North Carolina, Northwestern, Oklahoma State, Stanford, Tennessee, Texas, UCF, UCLA, Washington, and Wisconsin. So in terms of breaking it down by conference, you've got three in the Big 12, because remember, UCF is moving over into the Big 12 next year, three in the Big 10, three in the ACC, three in the Pac-12, and four from the SEC. That'll be February 15th through 18th, 2024. You want to make sure and sign up now for those pre-sale tickets that that you can look at. Um, so go to clearwaterinvitational.com. Those tickets go on sale in November, but you need to be registered to be able to get access to it first. And Michelle, you're, you're such an instrumental part of this tournament. Um, I know that you come at it from a really unique perspective because you're calling the games, but, um, for a weekend, but also working it year round with a really just incredible team that you work with that I know you wanted to shout them out and give thanks to. So who are those people? Yeah, absolutely, Amanda. And, um, it is year round. In fact, uh, we already have a conference call next week to, to recap and to start building for next year. Um, city of Clearwater, Mike Lockwood, Carla Shriver, uh, Chris Koch, those guys, they have worked so hard, not to mention the ground crew. There's, you know, 50 ground crew out there making sure that all the fields are going. The city, um, just did an amazing job. Pinellas County, um, Craig Campbell and Caleb Peterson, just a lot of support on the financial side as well as big, Big fans of our, our sport buying products that's needed, the outfield fence, for instance, all those things that go in from the county side, making sure that um, we're trying to improve the tournament every year. And then, of course, ESPN events, our own division through ESPN with the events department, Kristen Shaver and Scott Glasser, Glasser they, they, they just do an amazing job year round to make sure everything is in order. And there's a, a lot of other people in the events division that are, are doing it. And then, of course, on the production side, we have Mega Ronowitz and Nick Rudd, who, you know, really are the the tip of the sword for our crew of 200 strong. I mean, think about our cameramen and women that were out there all day long, every game, 
uh, a part of it uh, are, you know, the guys and gals in the trucks. I mean, there's just so many people giving their all and giving their best so that this event goes off. There's always going to be hiccups, but there's always going to be great things too. And then the last thing I want to say is I'm very proud of the fact that we had some community activation. We um, had Evo Shield donate 500, excuse me, $5,000 worth of product to local softball teams through Clearwater for Youth Pinellas. There was also a sign on auction. And um, I personally give away uh, over $15,000 worth of scholarships through this uh, through this uh, interaction and, and through this uh, really good charity, Clearwater for you. So I'm just very proud of all this, uh, all the tournament does for the sport of softball, the community of Clearwater. And we are very grateful for all the teams and fans that come down to be a part of it. Yeah. Thanks for that, Michelle. Um, it definitely had a postseason feel and that was kind of, you know, our takeaways from off the field, but on the field, it truly had a postseason. Uh, women's college world series experience or feel with some of these games. So moving to number three, it's clear from Clearwater. Uh, definitely Oklahoma state and UCLA were the quote unquote winners. We would say of the tournament, Oklahoma state went five and zero with wins against A&M, Nebraska, Virginia tech, Louisiana, and Michigan. And UCLA also went five and zero with wins against Nebraska, Alabama, Florida state, Virginia tech, and Louisiana. But Kayla, what were the biggest surprises that you felt like happened this weekend? Um, I thought a big surprise for me was I felt like the offense was really far ahead of the pitching as a general for this tournament. 89 home runs. We talked about it. The ball was flying out of the park and there was a lot of high scoring affairs. I think about the Oklahoma State Virginia Tech game that was 10 to 9, just a lot of offense. And I, I think there was a few pitching duels like that Florida State Alabama game to, to finish the night. But overall, the offense really, really stood out to me as the biggest factor in these teams, whether they were, whether they were able to win or not. Um, second, at least this was on my field, but I think this is probably across the board. I thought that we saw some big time defensive plays, some athletic plays across the board, you know, home run, robbing catches, diving catches. I saw some girls get up, get, you know, rob some line drives out of the air because they could, you know, spring off the ground a little bit. So I thought the defense actually showed up pretty well in this tournament. And again, I think we're just seeing more athletic players across the board. I just was really impressed with the athleticism that I saw from this week. And then, uh, you know, lastly, I think what stood out to me is not necessarily a surprise, but I think you get a feel for where each conference is at when you have a tournament like this. Pac-12 is going to be fine with UCLA at the top. Big 12, Oklahoma State looked like a really big push to threaten Oklahoma's run as the true leader of that conference. Uh, The SEC is right where I thought they were with Bama and Arkansas. Same thing with the ACC. Uh, I'm worried about the Big 10, though. I think that they did not have a great showing in Clearwater, and I don't know the depth of that program. I know the best team, Northwestern, wasn't here, but I think the weakest conference to me in this tournament looked like it was going to be the Big Ten, so looking to see if they can make some improvements throughout the year. Michelle, what was your pitching recap or or some pitchers that stood out to you on the weekend? Well, I think my three to four top pitchers are definitely Megan Faramo, Kelly Maxwell, Oklahoma State, uh, Montana Fouch. She was lights out, and the the final game on, on Sunday on ESPN. Uh, I thought Kat Sandercock also did a very good job. Um, so I think those were probably my top three to four pitchers, MLM lead, Devin um, Nets. There were, there were some standout, uh, you know, performances at different times, but I definitely think overall those, those pitchers really had great innings, great ability to lead their teams and, and try to slam the door on, as Kay, um, Kayla mentioned, 
the ball was flying out of the yard. When you have 98 home runs in, a, in those 40 games, you know it's going to be tough to be in the circle. I think as a staff, though, as a staff, I would definitely have to say Oklahoma State, UCLA, and Florida State, I think, shown the most. Good chemistry, good working. Uh, and I thought it was also very interesting the way Lonnie Alameda used her staff in this particular tournament. Allison Royalty, who transferred over from ASU, what does she do? She throws her immediately against the two Pac-12 teams that are here, Arizona and UCLA. So I just, I love the way that the pitchers were used and I thought we had some good performances. And I also thought uh, considering the ball was leaving the yard, they hung in there, the pitchers hung in there. I know Michelle's going to hold it down for the pitcher, so I'm going to flip gears and look a little bit more at the offense in Clearwater. And when it comes to which team I thought overall hit the best at the tournament, it's got to be Oklahoma State. Uh, they ended up scoring 55 runs over the course of the tournament, um, had some individual players that had phenomenal uh performances. Somebody that I think is really a catalyst that I know we're going to be keeping our eyes on for the rest of the season is going to be Rachel Becker, the transfer that came over from Purdue. We heard heard Coach Gajewski talk talk about how he was really looking forward to seeing what she could bring to the field. She's a leader defensively, but I really think she sets the tone and she's somebody that gets on base for the rest of those power hitters in their lineup. Um, When it comes to individual performances, Claire Davidson for Duke had a phenomenal tournament, batted 562 with six extra base hits. Two of those were home runs along with four RBIs. But to me, the offensive player of the tournament was Kylie Naomi. She was just lights out all weekend long, batted nearly 600 with four home runs and 12 RBIs. That is how you get things done up at the plate. Jenny, what'd you think? I have to second that. Kylie Naomi was absolutely putting the ball to the moon. Those four home runs, she had two of them against Virginia Tech in that eight home run game. I mean, that game was so fun to watch if you really like the long ball. And Oklahoma State with four run rule wins. I mean, they were absolutely on fire in that tournament. You mentioned Claire Davidson. I do like Claire Davidson as well. She's going to have to do a lot for that team. She's in the circle having to throw a lot of innings and then be potent offensively. So how are they going to rest her? How are they going to use her? That's the big question mark for me and Duke going into the rest of the season. I do want to um, talk about somebody who was highlighted the week before, Maya Brady. Obviously was the national player of the week in week one. Um, She leads the Bruins in average home runs, hits, on-base percentage, stolen bases, but she really didn't have that amazing of a tournament in Clearwater, and that's the way that the game goes. You ebb and flow, but she's this person that everybody's going to circle on their lineup to really attack and go after. There's one player I would like to bring the nation's attention to who has not been an everyday starter up until this year. She's at Michigan. Her name's Kiki Thole. She's the niece of head coach Bonnie Thole. She had six hits in Clearwater, four home runs in their five games. I mean, to me, it was go big or go home, but she really put a punch and or packed a punch with her bat, and she has become an everyday starter. They're using her behind the plate and at first base. She is developing into an everyday starter that can really get a lot of big hits for Michigan, who I think at times might struggle with run production. Good stuff. Um, just to also take or talk a little bit about Duke. They actually went four and one on the weekend after losing their first game to Alabama just by a run. They picked up wins against USF, Arkansas, UCF 
and Michigan. Cassidy Kurd had three appearances and in a weekend where hitters, or excuse me, pitchers got hit around a lot. She only gave up one earned run and picked up two wins and had 16 strikeouts to just three walks. Alabama also went four and one on the weekend. Kenley Cahallen had a breakout weekend along with freshman, uh, fellow freshman Larissa Pruitt and Kristen White. So uh, Duke and Alabama ended up going four and one and, and finishing strong. Uh, moving to number four on the lineup card, and then there were four. Funny how that worked out. I didn't even mean for that to happen. But uh, right now in the top 25, as they stand right now, there are just four undefeated teams left. And that is in the top 25. I'll hit on a couple later on that are outside the top 25. But we have UCLA, Florida, Clemson, and LSU. Uh, Michelle, UCLA is 12-0 and so far in the year. Um, could they possibly have an undefeated season or any of these teams have an undefeated season? What do you think? <laughs> I think they're all gunning for it, but I think there's too much parody in our sport. I, I don't see anybody surviving beyond the first couple weeks uh, with the, with a zero up there, uh, especially now that Oklahoma has their loss. Um, so yeah, yeah, it is an interesting concept, but I, I don't know if it's good for the game either. I like to see teams step their toe a little bit and then have to rebound back. I do think the thing about UCLA is they are strong in every facet of the game. Megan Framo, freshman Taylor Tinsley uh, in the circle and Brooke Yana, she looked really good. They have Lauren Hall. So this is a pitching staff that is, extremely talented they move the ball around they can mix speeds and experience obviously as well staying on the defensive side if I do have one little worry for UCLA they didn't look super clean in defense this weekend they did have um, four errors so I do think that this is a a team that typically is very strong but remember they're also uh, first time working without B Perez at shortstop so you know when you have to replace a shortstop like that it's going to be tough the key though is their hitting their bats are off the chart they savvy polo has been leading off for them with Maya Brady in the two spot you know you can't say enough about the two of them but then how about the freshman in the three and four spot Megan Grant and Jordan Woolery. They came up with some really big hits. Again, they're freshmen. They struggled at some times, but they never looked intimidated. Outstanding. And then you could go through the rest of the lineup. Charlize uh, Palacios, the transfer over from Arizona. Just so many good sticks and the depth that Coach I has to pull off the bench. This is a really talented UCLA team. Um, I don't think they go undefeated. But I do think there's a good chance that uh, they, they definitely have less than five losses on the year. Madison, what do you think about Florida? Yeah, uh, Florida is another one of those undefeated teams. And I agree with you, Michelle. I don't think really anybody's going to go undefeated this year. I, I just think that these teams are too good across the board. There's so much parity that it's going to be nearly impossible to go undefeated all year long. But Florida has had a very impressive start to, to this 2023 season. And when we think back to last year, their struggles really came from not getting production one through nine in their order. And I think that's something that has changed so far in the first two weekends is they really are getting production from top to bottom. And whether it be from people like Skylar Wallace, Kendra Falby, Charlotte Eccles, or even somebody like a Sam Rowe, there are several players that are batting well over 350 to start off this season. But I am looking forward to seeing them be tested when they head out to, to California this weekend. Um, but the other thing, too, with Florida, you know they're going to play lockdown defense. And I've said that over and over again. That is the one thing that makes them so tough every single year because you know that they are not going to beat themselves. Um, and they've got a good mix of balance, uh, of balance a good balance, excuse me, of power and speed in their lineup too. You still have Fal- Kendra Falby and um, Skylar Wallace stealing a bunch of bases. So if you can get those people on base to set the table and, and to move over into scoring position for hitters like Charlotte Eccles, uh, I think they've got a good shot of doing some damage out there this weekend. 
I love that, Maddie. And then another team that we have our eyes on is Clemson this year. They're 10 and 0 in their pre-conference schedule. And I think that schedule has been a little bit light. They have not been as tested as some of those, some of those other undefeated teams in the top 25. The team has hit nine home runs. Valerie Cagle has hit six of them. She's tied for most in the country. She has 19 hits on the year. And the cool thing about that, that's the same number of hits she's given up in the circle in her 29 and a third innings that she's thrown so far. She's 5-0 and with two complete games under her belt. Her ERA sits at .75 in a staff of four pitchers that all combined for a staff ERA of 1.09. And that staff is Valerie Cagle, Millie Thompson, Reagan Spencer, and Brooke McCubbin. Cagle leads the team in home run, averages, RBI, slugging percentage. I mean, when you talk about an all-around player, you definitely think of Valerie Cagle, but they have not really put it all together at the postseason. And when it comes to the postseason, John, John Rittman has stated that this, the goal for this team this year is to take the next step and reach the women call, Women's College World Series. I think this is the year that they are able to put it all together, honestly, This is such a young program, and these players have just needed to be tested and tried a little bit, and that's what's happened in the past two years. They've found themselves in big moments. They've stumbled at times, and I think they will stumble down the stretch. This is not going to be an undefeated season for them, but I think this is the year that they make it to the Women's College World Series. Kayla, who else do you have an eye on? Let's look at the other Tigers, the LSU Tigers. Uh, They're off to their best start since 2018. They're 10-0 with four run rule, run rule wins. Uh, they're outscoring their opponents 61 to 15. And I think some really good signs for the Tigers is last year, they had some early season stumbles. They had a loss to Illinois, a loss to Central Arkansas against really, really comparable schedule. This year, they didn't do that. They won close games to Utah, to Central Arkansas. They beat o- o- Oregon State, who was a World Series team a year ago. And The great news for this Tiger team is that Taylor Pleasance is playing the way that we all know that Taylor Pleasance can play. She's hitting 524 with five home runs. She leads the nation with 21 RBIs on the season, and she's locking it down at the shortstop position as well. So she starts it off for them. Sierra Briggs is back. She's hitting 424 on the year, 14 runs scored for them. She's got some speed. Carly Petty, the transfer from Oklahoma State, is going to be impactful for them this year. And then if you look at what they're doing in the circle. Obviously, you return Allie Kilponen, who we know has all the talent. She's got a 1.59 ERA so far this year with 26 innings pitch. But Cindy Brazon, the freshman, is doing excellent early in the year. 0.3 ERA, 18 innings pitch. She's only given up one earned run. She's got three wins on the season. Uh, it's going to be really a good weekend for LSU, a good test. They play Louisiana in the home-and-home home series, and they're going to be challenged in the next 15 games, but I think they're all winnable games. So this could be a team, I think, that could win the next 15 until they go and play Tennessee in conference play. I think LSU might go on a run. I don't think they're going to go undefeated, but I think that they could win a lot of the games in the future if they continue with the hot offense and the quality pitching in the circle. Amanda, what do, what do you think? What do you think well, about these teams? I think that you had, uh, both of you guys, Jenny and you had two bold predictions, Clemson going to the women's college world series and Kayla expecting LSU to win the next 15 games that they play. Um, 
Also to know that Clemson plays Georgia after we record this podcast on Tuesday night, and they'll play Tennessee twice and Michigan State twice. So Jenny said that their schedule has been a little bit light, but they're definitely going to pick it up this week with playing those two teams. Uh, UCLA and Florida will head to Palm Springs, where, of course, they'll face a challenging schedule. Um, And Kayla, you mentioned a freshman pitcher at LSU, which leads us to number five on the lineup card, Fresh Faces. Uh, We have some freshmen that have already been making big impacts on their team in the circle, up at the plate, all the way around. Uh, Madison, who's a freshman that stood out to you so far? Uh, so far, there's been a ton of freshmen. Um, I'm going to stick. Uh, there's a couple of well, I don't want to steal everybody else's freshmen. And I know I'm already going to look at everybody's faces. I'm going to be stealing them. Um, but Kenley Kahalen for Alabama, I think, is a great hitter right at the top of their order. Um, and I'm going to just stick with two so I don't steal everybody else's. Um, but Ruby Malin from Washington, she's 4-0 on the season. I think that she's definitely going to be a freshman to watch. So I'm looking forward to seeing her throughout the rest of her career. Jenny, who do you got? So when I looked at this, I always try to stay well-rounded and not just look at the hitters, but it comes down to pitchers and hitters. So I picked one of each to make sure I was fair. Um, I'm going to go with a hitter first. And this hitter, I think, has big shoes to fill, knowing that she is stepping in after a Jocelyn Allo, and that's Jocelyn Erickson. And that, to me, is a player that right now is making waves in the Oklahoma lineup. She has not emerged as an everyday starter. She's not finding herself on the field because she's playing behind some really big names, some transfers that have come over at first base and catcher. But they've actually put her in the DP role out on right field. She's she's leading the team, hitting 556 with four home runs, four consecutive games that those came in. And also 14 RBI. Um, She played junior USA ball. She's the youngest of three sisters that have all played division one softball. She's grit. She's a lefty power bat. And I think she's someone that you need to keep your eye on this year. If she doesn't find her way defensively into the lineup, she will be the DP for Oklahoma. And then the pitcher I have my eye on is Nigeri Kennedy out at Stanford. Um, I got to watch her play 18 and under ball and she was, I think, only 14 at the time when she was playing on the, uh, the the team with my daughter. But this kid throws heat, and she has grown into her body. She is such an elite pitcher right now. She is 4-0 in 22 innings pitched. Um, there's team losses to Duke and Oklahoma, but she is incredibly strong with 41 strikeouts, just five walks, has only allowed four hits. And you compare that, or you put that together with Alana Vodder, I think Stanford has a good chance to make a pretty good run in Pac-12 play. And Jenny, that's uh, yeah, amazing. I think Stanford's going to be tough. I'm also going to stay in the pack uh, for a freshman pitcher in Taylor Tinsley. And uh, we saw her in Clearwater. She did get roughed up a little bit. I think they're trying to ease her in. But for me, the key is, is when Kelly Inouye Perez says she is our future, you know she's good. Because <laughs> at some point when Megan Faramo uh, you know, graduates and Brooke Yanez and all the other aces that have a little bit more experience graduate, uh, it's all going to fall on Tinsley. And, and I think that she has a lot of potential um, two-way player. So I'm really looking forward to seeing her uh, really mature as the season goes on, especially because she does 
have the ability to throw behind Karimo and Brooke Yanez to get some good innings, but not be thrown to the wolves. The other freshman I want to talk about is Kaylin Edwards from Oklahoma State University. Oh, yes, I'm going to be a little homer here, but um, yeah, she has been amazing. She forego her senior year in high school so that she could play with the Pokes this year. And she is fast. She can hit for average. She's in the two hole. She hit a home run in Clearwater. This is a very, very talented freshman that just you know, is, is going to be a game changer hitting in that very strong Oklahoma state lineup. Um, who's up next, Kayla, what do you got? Yeah, well, I'm going to, I'm going to go back to the pack. I'm going to go back to Stanford because the number two hitter is a freshman. She's playing second base river Mailer is having a fantastic start to her season. She's hitting six thirteen. She's got 19 hits for the Cardinal. So, you know, she's doing damage and uh, they need some support offensively to help pitchers. Like you mentioned, Jenny, like Alana Vodder in that in that roster in that pitching rotation. And then I want to also shout out a couple like really quick freshmen from Duke. Deanna Jennings was really electric from a lefty slapper perspective, hits in the two spot for them. It was fun seeing also another freshman from Alabama, Kristen White. I felt like in Clearwater, she earned a starting spot in the lineup for Alabama. She put the ball in play a lot. She had a walk-off hit. She had a robbed home run out in center field. Uh, that was awesome. And then the other freshman that stood out to me, and Amanda, I think you might want to speak to this kid, but is McKenna Reed, the lefty from Florida State. She could be really impactful for this Seminoles team. Yeah, McKenna Reed, uh, a left-handed pitcher for Florida State, and also Cassidy Kurd, a left-handed pitcher for Duke. I thought that both of those freshmen did not pitch like freshmen uh, in Clearwater this past weekend, and they were fiery. They can put some spin and velocity on their pitches, and I mean, they again, they did not pitch like freshmen. Uh, those are definitely some freshmen to watch. All of you guys named some good ones. There's some very talented freshmen. All right, moving to number six. Um, some early upstarts. So just kind of, we're only two weeks in, but I feel like there are some teams that are kind of um, being loud that maybe we didn't expect to be in the top 25 this early. Maybe we didn't expect to be undefeated. Uh, But Madison, uh, what is one of those teams? Yeah, I think Maryland's a team that made some waves even to start off the season last, or excuse me, to start off the season last weekend. Um, Courtney Weish in the circle, being able to watch her, she's got a really gnarly drop ball. And if you can work that drop ball down in the zone, you're going to get a lot of those ground ball outs. And as a batter, it's really difficult to lift that ball up into the air. So I've been really impressed with what she's been able to do in the circle. Mackenzie Graco holding it down for them offensively, batting over 400. So Maryland's definitely a team that I'm going to keep my eye on. And this next one, you guys might think I'm crazy because they're one and nine to start off the season, but Liberty, I, I, they have by far had the strongest schedule and with their pitchers in the circle, I, Paige Bachman, I've been impressed with how she's been able to spin the ball. I think that's a team that because they played such a tough schedule at the get go and they always do dot Richardson always packs their schedule at the beginning. I think that they are going to make waves as we get towards the regular season and down into the postseason as well. And I like their coaching staff too, with Dr. Dot Richardson, but also Casey and Sammy Fagan are both on that coaching staff as well. So I think that uh, the Liberty Flames are going to make some noise this year. Jenny, do you have any more surprise teams for us? Yeah, I tell you what, if you play for Dot, you know you're going to have your feet put to the fire early, and she definitely has challenged them playing a difficult schedule to start the year. I also think we need to talk about Baylor, who came away with maybe the most surprising win that we've seen this season was that with that win against Oklahoma. But Glenmore in his 23rd season, um, 
that 4-3 win over Oklahoma, Dariana Orm threw the first ever program perfect game on Friday. And then on Sunday, pitched four innings, giving up only one earned run and six hits to the Sooners. So what a performance by her in the circle hitting. You got to talk about Shaylin Govan. Three home runs or a three run home run by the transfer coming over from Stephen F. Austin in the fall. She led Stephen F. Austin in power numbers in 2021. So I think you can expect to see her continue to make waves over there in the Big 12. They play Maryland on Friday, which I think is going to be a really good matchup to see where these two teams who have come away with big wins early in the year face off when they play against each other. I don't know that Baylor's going to win the Big 12. But they will definitely surprise some people going down the stretch, knowing what they've got in the circle. Their their hitting numbers don't really um, come across as a team very high, but they definitely have some pop in their lineup. I also want to give a nod to um, Southeastern Louisiana. They have the best start in program history going 9-0. and They play Alabama two times this weekend. They play Mississippi State and Oklahoma in two weekends. And then LSU in a midweek. So we're seeing these teams that maybe sit in conferences that don't help their RPI really testing themselves early in the year. Two more teams really quick. I just wanted to jump in and give them a shout out. McNeese State beat Washington this past weekend, so they could make some noise. But also Cal State Fullerton. Um, They've got some wins over Tennessee and Ole Miss. Uh, Their pitching staff work really well together between Haley Rainey, Micah Sutherland, and Racy Miranda. I think those three have been dealing pretty, pretty good for them in the circle. Yeah, I mean, you can tell the parody in our sport because I had a, a few worth noting as well. I mean, you guys just named some some good ones and for some good reasons, but also Central Arkansas is 7-2, and two, and they got a win over McNeese, who you mentioned, Maddie, beat Washington yesterday, and they played LSU tight, two tight games with LSU this past weekend, and in a year full of deep pitching staffs, they have just two pitchers that only that they've used this season who have given up only 11 earned runs in nine games, so that stat I feel like in itself is incredible. Uh, Nevada already has 43 stolen bases in 10 games and they've started out nine and one USC upstate is off to a good start at six and zero. Um, and Presbyterian college is eight. zero with a team ERA. And this is just unheard of these days, no matter how many games you play, but a team ERA of 0.63 BYU had a good weekend picking up wins against Oregon state and Arizona state, their freshman pitcher case in Korth. Uh, got a couple of those wins and struck out 16 in the 11 in a third innings that she pitched. Okay, moving to number seven, showstoppers. Let's talk some pitching trends so far. Um, I feel like what we saw, Michelle, was really interesting in Clearwater. Not only did we see pitching coaches um, and head coaches use their deep staffs and change pitchers often within a game, but they also use their ace pitchers in different ways. What did you see? Yeah, absolutely. I thought that, um, you know, Oklahoma State using their ace A and B with Kelly Maxwell and Lexi Kilfoyle did a really good job, but they also got some of their younger pitchers in. And I think that's the key. A lot of these teams early on in the season are trying to get those younger pitchers an opportunity to gain some experience, to gain some innings. But absolutely, you did see the aces. So some of the young kids would start, for instance, UCLA, they would start uh, Brooke Yanez or start some of the other pitchers, and then Megan Faremo would come in and shut things down. That's exactly what she did against Virginia Tech so that the Bruins could roll to a victory there. I think the one that impressed me the most, though, was Cassidy Kerb, Kerb from a left-handed pitcher from Duke. She came in and shut down Alabama. Now, granted, they were already down in the game. 
but it allowed her team the ability to claw back. She got eight outs before ever giving up her first hit. She did give up a couple of walks beforehand, but I thought for a freshman coming in and a really against a really tough opponent, she did a good job. So I think we're going to see a lot of, um, you know, tapping of the arm. Let's go to the righty or the lefty in the bullpen this year. It's uh, coming, coming a little baseball style. So it's definitely more about your staff than just about your ace. What did you see, Amanda? Yeah, I think that we're seeing coaches just really try to learn their pitchers, even their ace pitchers that they've had for many years, like Kat Sandercock, who didn't get a start um, on the weekend until that game on Sunday night. Um, and also like Montana Fouts, who pitched in four out of the five games for Alabama, and she pitched 22 of the 33 innings that they played this weekend. So clearly wanting to rely on her, but also you guys just so many pitching changes. I, I totally get that. We're seeing the staffs of six to seven deep. And I know that Florida state for sure used a lot of pitching changes and, and so did Louisiana, uh, but we're seeing pitching coaches just have a lot more options to use for matchups, for situations, for one time through the order and really go to those um, that deep pitching staff to give a different look. But it also just, I mean, quite frankly, we've been talking about this a lot. It just makes the game a lot longer. All the different pitching changes are taking forever. So I'd really love it personally. If, if we are going to have those pitching changes, if we can, make it as efficient as possible. I feel like we're losing a lot of time in those pitching changes. Um, but I also think too, that, um, a, coaches can overthink the situation and make a change too early when they know that they have that deep pitching staff. So I think that coaches are really getting, um, to, to use a different strategy. Like I know that it's something that we talked about in the UCLA versus, um, the UCLA versus Louisiana game when Jerry Glasgow took out Sam Landry late in the game, which she hadn't even given up a hit yet. And also the same thing when UCLA took out Taylor Tinsley to put in Megan Framo, who didn't really look that warm when Taylor Tinsley, the freshman was looking pretty good. So I think it's just something to to keep our eye on for the rest of the year. Are these pitching changes, the deep staffs and coaches starting to learn their pitchers and also potentially overthinking the situation um, uh, in some, in some games and, and some late in the games when they're trying to get these big wins. So let's keep our eye on this, you guys. I feel like it's very interesting this year with all the deep pitching staffs that we have. Okay, uh, moving to number eight on the lineup card. Follow us to the desert, man. The Marinetter Classic truly is a classic tournament. And to go from Clearwater on the East Coast to then Palm Springs on the West Coast for this tournament is just a really special time, I feel like, in the year every February. Kayla, what are the best games that we're going to see? And who do you think has the toughest schedule? The Mary Nutter never disappoints, Amanda. It is always fantastic. And this year, we have the number one, two, and three team in the lineup. We have UCLA, Oklahoma, and Florida all playing here this weekend. And it's going to get going with a bang. Thursday night, UCLA versus Florida. Circle that one up. Uh, Another game Thursday night that I'm looking forward to, Washington versus Kentucky. On Friday, uh, we're going to get things going Friday morning. OU versus Cal State Fullerton, and I'm glad you mentioned them, Maddie, earlier because they got big upset wins over Tennessee and Ole Miss, so that's a game that you just can't sleep on, and you talked about it, Amanda. I think the pitching, the depth of the pitching staff makes those matchups more interesting because when OU is going to go play UCLA on Sunday, you might have to throw a different pitcher. You might not get to throw Jordy Ball, so it's going to be interesting, the matchups, when we look at tournaments like this. Um, Some other standout matchups that I'm going to look at, uh, Northwestern versus Oregon on Friday. UCLA versus AM on Saturday morning. Uh, Kentucky versus Northwestern, I think, could be a good one. 
Uh, Sunday, I don't know who scheduled this, 9.30 a.m. Pacific time, UCLA versus Oklahoma. I think we need to talk to whoever's organizing that tournament, move that game around a little bit. Um, But that's going to be a great one. Obviously, you're not going to want to miss it. Uh, The toughest schedule, Amanda, you asked me that. UCLA, the number one team, has the toughest schedule. They play Florida game one. They go Kentucky, Iowa, Northwestern, Texas A&M, who looked pretty good at some points during the Clearwater team. They're not a team that you can overlook this season. And then they finish with OU Sunday morning. Uh, That's going to be a tough go for UCLA. They're going to be really challenged. That number one is going to be tested in front of their name. But it's always a great tournament. Madison, is there any team that sticks out to you that needs to come and prove something this weekend at Mary Nutter? I think there's a lot of teams and a lot of them uh, you just mentioned in those key matchups. The first one that sticks out to me, I think it's Florida. We know that they can't, they're starting off on this undefeated run, but now they're going to be tested against some high level competition. So can they keep up those offensive numbers going up against teams like UCLA? So I'm really looking forward to see what they're able to do this weekend. I also think that UCLA has got a little bit to prove. This is the first time in, how long that it's been that somebody else is at the top other than Oklahoma. So I think that this is a good opportunity for them to show that, hey, they are the big dogs out here. Um, And then for Oklahoma, looking to bounce back from that Baylor loss, what better way than to go out there and be tested in Palm Springs? Um, So looking forward to see how they respond. And we already heard what Coach Patty Gasso said, that they can learn from those experiences. Well, how quickly are we going to see that turnaround from that Baylor loss going into this weekend? Um, And a couple of other teams, that I think are looking to to rebound here this weekend going into Palm Springs are teams like Washington, um, who had that loss to McNeese State, Uh, Northwestern too. They had two losses to Clemson, which I know is a top 10 program. Um, But for them, I think it's a good way to get their feet back underneath them after a couple of losses. Um, Also had some wins against Notre Dame. So uh, not a team that I'm worried about. Again, this early in the season, you don't hit the panic button when you get those losses. But I still think that there's something to be learned from every single one of those games. Um, And Amanda's going to like this. The team that I think can keep their momentum going is Texas A&M. Um, So I I really am high on the Aggies this year. I've been really impressed with what Coach Trisha Ford has been able to do with that program in such a short amount of time. And I really like Emily Kennedy in the circle. When you've got a lefty that can throw 71 miles per hour, especially with hard bite down in the zone, I think she gives them an opportunity to win every single ball game when she's out there in the circle. So I'm looking forward to to watching them compete. And uh, I got to give a shout out to a couple of their freshmen too. Amari Harper, I think is fantastic over at that second base position. So she's definitely somebody that I'm uh, keeping my eye on as far as freshmen and fresh faces this season looking forward. Well, and Maddie, I was planning on going out to that tournament, flying in tomorrow morning, but uh, rain, rain, go away. The weather out in Palm Springs is looking to be absolutely miserable. So I've canceled my trip. I am not going because I don't know how many of these games they're actually going to get in out in Palm Springs. Maybe we can use that as a jinx in reverse because you've talked about how bad the weather is going to be. Maybe it'll be great. I don't know. I'm going to just throw out some positive vibes out to Palm Springs. Let's yeah. Hope. I'm headed there on Thursday and for, for team interviews, um, Friday and Saturday and whew, 
I'm gonna definitely gonna be packing some layers because it's gonna be cold and rainy. Bring a jacket. Uh, <laughs> I will bring like three, I think, if I can put it in the carry-on. Um, other games to watch outside of the Mary Netter is gonna be Virginia Tech traveling to Austin to play Texas twice at the Lone Star Invitational. Uh, and just down the road from Austin, I think somebody mentioned this earlier, but Maryland will be traveling to Waco to take on Baylor. I feel like that's gonna be a really good one. And Michigan is gonna be traveling to Stanford. Um, so finally we moved to the nine spot. It's time to shag some stats. This week on shagging stats. Um, I'll go first and I'm going to go for my Michelle and myself just to knock it out. Um, because Michelle had to hop off. I'm not just trying to steal her stat. My, my stat is that Sydney McKinney from Wichita state is only batting a mere 771 with 27 hits on the season. The next best hit total is 19. Michelle's stat is all about Olivia Lackey from South Alabama, that she has a 0.048 opponent batting average against her. And she threw the program's 20th no hitter. I think she won a national award too. Uh, Kayla, what's your stat? Yeah, I'm going to go since UCLA is going to be showing out this weekend at the Mary Nutter again. We're good vibes, no rain. Uh, we want to see Maya Brady hit the field because she's hitting 568, five home runs this season. She's got a 636 on base percentage on the year. And the reason I say that is because she's getting on base a ton. She's setting the table. She has 19 runs scored. That leads the NCAA right now in terms of run production. She is crossing home plate a lot. Uh, Maddie, what's, what's your shagging stat today? So I'm sticking with the home run balls um, and I'm looking at Clearwater specifically, but seven different players by my count had multi home run games last weekend. Kylie Naomi for Oklahoma State, Aquana Brownlee from Mississippi State, Kelly Torres from Duke, Ashley Prangy from Alabama, Riley Valentine from the Amanda Scarborough Fight Naggies, uh, Kaylee Harding from Florida State and Kiki Fole from Michigan. So the bats were on fire, especially for those seven players. Jenny, what is your shagging stat? Oh, of course, mine's all about hitting too. So I'll be the cleanup hitter on our shagging stats and bring us home. When it comes to the home run ball, Texas Tech has put themselves on the map. They have hit a home run in each of their 11 games this year. They hit six in their last game against Santa Clara. They have six players with three home runs or more. So my shagging stat, Texas Tech, Lead in the country with 23 home runs. That was Shaggin' Stats. Nice, guys. I think potential podcast title is Good Vibes, No Rain. I feel like that's just like um, a mindset that we always have going into any weekend in the softball we, um, in the softball year because we just don't want it to rain and have rain outs at any of these good games. So there's going to be some good ones this week. And to think we're only just two weekends into the season. Um, and we have so much ahead of us. We're not even to March. Like, this is like the vacation that I never want to end. Right. Like it just may seem so long from now, but really it'll be here before you know it. Uh, great episode guys. Thanks everybody for, for joining and, and listening. And we're looking forward to another awesome week of softball ahead where we get to break down next week for you in our next episode. Um, I speak for everybody, Kayla Bro, Michelle Smith, Madison Shipman, Jenny Dalton Hill. I'm Amanda Scarborough, and we'll see you on the road to the Women's College World Series. <laughs>